Let's pray together. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are the one and only and true God and that you have revealed yourself to us in your Son, Jesus, that we might be saved from our sins and given the hope of everlasting life with all those that you have called to yourself from around the world and are today calling. To know you is life and joy. And I pray that you would come now and grant an anointing for this word and indeed for this entire conference. I pray, O oh God, in accordance with the command of our Lord Jesus, that you would send forth laborers into your harvest, that you would loosen the roots right now of people in this room and quicken their own sense of calling and change in their lives. So come, God, and do this work that you have begun to do already in their lives and that you are continuing now to do. Strengthen our hands in the work that you've called us to do. Magnify your name. Bless this church and make its blessing a joy to the nations, I pray. Through Christ. Amen. The first missionary endeavor of Protestantism in England burst forth from the soil of Puritan hope. Now you remember who the Puritans were. The Puritans were those pastors and teachers from about 1560 to 1660 in England and then in New England who had the goal of purifying, hence the name Puritan, purifying the Church of England so as to bring it into alignment with the great doctrines and practices of the Reformation. They had a view of biblical authority and the sovereignty of God that filled them with hope for the triumph of the gospel among all the nations and the world. And they were deeply stirred by a passion of God's kingdom coming to the nations. They really believed. Psalm 86, 8 and 9, when it says, There is none like thee among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like thine. All the nations thou hast made shall come and bow down and shall glorify thy name. They had a tremendous confidence that that would happen. That all the nations of the earth would glorify thy name. They would come and bow down. And the, the earliest Protestant missionary movement in England took its start from that tremendous theologically rooted confidence. So let me give you an example of that. 150 years before the birth of the modern missionary movement, which is usually identified with William Carey in 1793, 150 years before that, there was an extraordinary work of God 
in missions. Between the years 1627 and 1640, 15,000 people emigrated to the New World. It was the beginning of our country. It is an amazing thing that our country is as young as it is. So the first 15,000 emigrants, not counting the Native Americans, who I'll talk about in just a moment, came to this country between 1627 and 1640. And their motive, contrary to what most people know about today, was missionary. And one of the evidences for this is that the state seal of the Massachusetts Bay Colony had on it a Native American, an Indian, with the words coming out of his mouth, quoting Acts 16.9, come over into Macedonia and help us. That was the self-understanding of the Massachusetts Bay Colony and most of those 15,000 Puritans who came to this country, they saw it as the providence of God maneuvering peoples. They didn't so much think of themselves as missionaries crossing a culture as whole societies being maneuvered to other parts of the world so that the kingdom of God could be planted there. Now, one of those people was John Eliot. And he came in 1631, and he was 27 years old, and he became the pastor of the church in Roxbury, Massachusetts, about a mile from Boston, which is now folded into Boston. And according to Cotton Mather, surrounding Boston in those days, there were 21 tribes of Indians. He called them specifically nations. And that's very important because he called them nations precisely to pick up on the biblical word nations you need to understand that these flags, these flags here, do not represent biblical nations. They represent, as you heard already this morning, if you're listening carefully, political geographic entities. The Bible never, ever called one of those a nation. Ethnos, nation, referred to Hittites, Jebusites. Those were the kinds of people that were nations. The Cherokee nation, the Ojibwe nation. There are tens of thousands of nations in the world, not 212. So you need to know that when I say the word nations, and when missionaries today usually say the word nations, they have in mind people groups with identifiable cultures, languages, and so on, that are distinct from what's behind these flags. Well, there were 21 of those around Boston, and uh, John Eliot was among these great Puritan believers in the Bible and in the sovereignty of God. And over 13 years, his theology began to grip him in a very powerful way. Namely, if the Bible is true, and if God Almighty is sovereign, and if the Bible says that all the nations will come and bow down, then it is very likely that if a man like me were to go to these nations, God would probably, according to his word and by his spirit, be pleased to use me to win those nations to himself around Boston and plant his church there. And therefore, at age 40, now mark this, 40-year-olds, 
I'm on a crusade here at Park Cities this weekend. I'll, I'll just confess wide open. I'm on a crusade to recruit martyrs and recruit other kinds of missionaries from people from the age six through 96. Because I want to blast out of the water every possible conception you may have in your mind that only one kind of people that get called to do missionary work. So here he is, 40 years old, and he decides to be a missionary to the Indians, and he learns Algonquin. He studies Algonquin. There are words in Algonquin that are longer than our alphabet. 27 letters long in the Algonquin language. And he learned this language, and he translated the whole Bible into Algonquin, and he translated uh, Aline's call to the unconverted. Can you believe this? Puritan work. He translated into this Indian language. He planted numerous churches. He founded an Indian Bible Institute. These churches were pastored by Indians. By the time he was 84, there was an Indian Bible Institute. There were churches pastored by Indians. And it's only owing to some of the horrible policies and practices of our nation regarding Native Americans that there's no evidence of that today in New England. It's a lost story. And he said... Prayers and pains through faith in Christ will do anything. And oh, I hope that some of you middle-aged folks and younger folks and older folks, that just burns in your heart. Prayers and pains through Jesus Christ can do, will do anything. What God has in store for some of you 54-year-old people, that's how old I am, is simply stunning. I am so excited about the rest of my life, I can hardly stand it. Even if it only lasts for a year or so. And I don't know how long it may last. But I am so glad to be a Christian and to be a pastor and to know the gospel and to yet have a voice, though it's not in the shape I would like it to be this morning, that I want you to catch this vision for the sovereignty of God begetting a Puritan hope from which a John Elliot at age 40 to age 84 does an amazing work. And the reason I chose Psalm 67 from which to speak this morning is because it is the way people pray who are driven by this kind of hope. So, let's go to our Bibles. And if you closed it, please open it again. Psalm 67 was read to us earlier. Let me make two main points, but I will add a third one here at the beginning while you're turning there. The psalm begins with a word to Park City's Presbyterian Church. You're a wealthy church. You are a wealthy church in a wealthy part of Dallas, and this psalm is all about you. It's all about you. It's why you exist. It's why you exist here in Park Cities. No accident. You are here for a reason. It's stated in verses 1 and 2. Here it is. May God be gracious to us and bless us. Well, that's already happened. So you don't need to pray that over and over, except, except to continue it on into the next verse. And there are other blessings, of course, that you don't have that you would want to ask for. But here's the big one. May God be gracious to us and bless us 
and make his face to shine upon us. Oh, has he done it? And I praise him for it. But here's the reason. Notice the next word. That is the purpose clause now. Why? Why has he done this to you? That thy way, O God, may be known upon the earth and thy saving power, or literally thy salvation among all the nations. Let's say it very simply. God has blessed this church so that his salvation would reach to the unreached peoples of the world. That's why you have a blessing. If you don't turn your blessing into that purpose, you will be cursed. You exist to turn this glorious blessing. My church exists to turn its blessing outward for the sake of the nations. No church exists in this Disneyland called America for any other reason than to multiply our blessing for the sake of the spiritually and physically and educationally destitute peoples of the world, and mainly spiritually. They're lost without Jesus. So it's very clear. The first point of this psalm is you have been blessed in order to be a blessing. And the fact that Skipper Ryan and others in this church have led this church to have conferences like this shows you're not unaware of that. And I thank God for it. I'm just here to breathe on it, bless it, fan the flame and say amen, keep on. Now here's the first of my two main points I want to draw out of this. Let's ask two questions. Question number one, what is the great purpose of God revealed in this prayer, Psalm 67? What's the great purpose of God that this church and all the churches represented here from other places perhaps should join God in? And the answer is four things. According to this psalm, God's purpose is to be known, praised, enjoyed, and feared among all the nations of the world. I want you to feel the force of these four purposes of God from this text. Not from me, from the text. So let's just note each of them. Number one, God's will is to be known among the nations. Verse two, that thy way may be known on earth, thy saving power among all the nations. God intends to be known on the earth among all the nations. If he's not known there, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have not yet finished joining him in his purpose. Number two, he means to be praised. His purpose is to be praised among the nations. Verse three, let all the peoples praise thee, O God. Let all the peoples praise thee. Verse five, let the peoples praise thee, O God. Let all the peoples praise Thee. Our God is seeking worshipers from all the peoples of the world in spirit and in truth. If He is not being duly worshipped in any people group on the face of the earth, we have work to do according to His sovereign purpose. Number three, His purpose is to be enjoyed 
among all the peoples of the world. Verse 4, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Missionaries should be the happiest people in the world because their whole business is joy. The church exists to rejoice in God and be glad, and the church exists to spread the joy. Here's the mission statement of our church, Bethlehem Baptist. We exist to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things for the joy of all peoples. That's our mission statement. It comes straight out of texts like this, and I believe you know that. And oh, I wish I had one hour to talk about the relationship between the second and third point that I just gave you. God's purpose is to be praised. God's purpose is to be enjoyed. And I could take an hour to show you that God's purpose in seeking His own praise and seeking your joy are one. But I don't have any time to do it. And so, read a book or two. I don't get any of those royalties. But God does. And they really get multiplied back into ministry. So yes, it would make me happy if you bought those books. Fourth point, God's purpose is to be feared. Verse 7, let all the ends of the earth fear Him. Unless that sound contradictory to joy to you, do you remember a text like, I delight to fear Thy name? Delight to fear Thy name? Or texts like, there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Strange. The fear of God is a strange thing. It's a trembling joy in the presence of an infant, awesome, holy God that you don't trifle with. But when you know Him as Father, it is delightful to fear Him. So, there are the, the fourfold purpose of God, to be known, to be praised, to be enjoyed and reverenced or feared among all the peoples. That's why you exist as a church. Not many of you know who J. Campbell White is. Before I tell you who he is, let me read you a quote from his from about a hundred years ago. He wrote this. Now, heads up, laymen, laywomen, Businessmen, businesswomen, most men are not satisfied with the permanent output of their lives. Nothing can wholly satisfy the life of Christ within his followers except the adoption of Christ's purpose toward the world. He came to redeem the world he came to redeem. Sorry, I read that wrong. Nothing can satisfy us except joining him and adopting his purpose toward the world he came to redeem. Fame, pleasure, riches are but husks and ashes in contrast with the boundless and abiding joy of working with God for the fulfillment of his plans. The men who are putting everything into Christ's understanding are getting everything out of it. 
the men who are putting everything into Christ's understanding of his undertaking are getting out of it life's sweetest and most priceless rewards. His undertaking is to be known and praised and enjoyed and feared as he really is among all the peoples of the world. Now, you should ask at this moment, well, did that quote mean that only missionaries can have deep and abiding and sweet and precious satisfaction in life? Now, to answer that question, I'll tell you who J. Campbell White is, was. He was a layman and a businessman who was the head of the layman's missionary movement. He founded it in 1906. These businessmen looked out on the student volunteer movement where God was moving so mightily at the beginning of the last century, 1906, that they said, if these students have this much energy and this much zeal and this much sense of call and this much willingness to sacrifice, then surely we businessmen ought to do everything we possibly can to get behind them and fund this enterprise. And so he said, if the layman of North America could see the world as these students are seeing it, they would rise up in their strength and provide all the funds needed for the enterprise. So the answer is no, it is not merely missionaries who can enjoy deep, profound involvement in the purposes of God to be known and praised and enjoyed among the peoples. You may be satisfied by participating other ways. However, you won't be satisfied if you just go on with life as usual. Make your money, do your work, give your tithe, eat, sleep, play, watch TV, surf the internet, do a little job at church. That will not do it. That won't do it. There must be, from the heart, a sense of I'm engaged. I'm engaged with a world enemy. I'm engaged with reaching the nations. And so my counsel to you, young and old, middle-aged, is take a few days and get away. With a Bible, a pad of paper, a hymn book, and not much else. Go to a hotel, go to a cabin, go out in a park somewhere, and sit down alone and say, God, is this it? Is this it? CPA, banker, teacher, doctor, lawyer, computer, designer, programmer. Is this it? I've got a life. I'm making good money. Got a house and suburbs. Got a car. Got family. Do the same thing every day, day in, day out. Is this it? And my guess is God's going to say, no. And then ask him, what more, Lord? What more? An adjustment of this or a total change? Just do that, would you? Take a break. Take a mid-course, third-way course, two-thirds-way course, and ask him, Lord, is this it? Um, it may be that he'll say, you're exactly where I want you. Hold the course and stoke the engines. That may be. But it also may be that there's been, as you come into this conference, 
a restlessness, a discontent. And now you're hearing me address it, and you've been wondering, what's it been about? And at this moment in your life, I'm telling you what it's about on his behalf. It's about God. It's about world missions. It's about your peculiar strategic investment and involvement in ways you may have never dreamed and may find out in a workshop after I speak. I don't want to imply that all discontent in work is a call of God. If that were true, we would all change jobs every other week. However, there is an abiding restlessness. There is a recurrent discontent. There is a growing and deepening sense that the roots are being loosened. There is a heightening of dreaming. There is a spirituality that comes in it as you linger over the Bible and at those moments something settles on you. Then you sense God is up to something in my life that is doing differently than I thought I might be. So maybe you will stay where you are and adjust and maybe you will not. But know this, God's purpose for your life is that you engage in His being known and praised and enjoyed and feared among peoples where He is scarcely, if at all, known at all. He wants you to be engaged. you got three options. Go, send, or disobey. Are you an engaged sender? Really engaged? Thinking, giving, praying, getting educated, moving, traveling, taking your vacations certain ways, investing your spare time instead of dinking around on the television. You know what I did last night? I'm in a motel room. That's a huge temptation, right? You're in a motel room by yourself several hours. You can watch pornography if you want to, or you can just fritter it away with silliness on TV. So, I, you know what I did yesterday? I sat down at the desk over at the Bradford Suites and I started a list. What a person, I'm going to write this in a newsletter for my church, but I'm writing it for myself first. What a person can accomplish if he doesn't watch TV. What a person can accomplish. That's a tremendous discipline. Start making a list in your life. What could I accomplish? Accomplish! accomplish if I didn't watch television. Oh, there's so much this church could accomplish. If you threw it out the window for one month, what you could accomplish for God would be absolutely stunning. Well, I've got to quit. Let me see how I should quit here. Let me, let me quit by summing up four answers to my second question real, real fast. Here's my second question. What is it that God aims to make known about Himself in the world? Number one, God aims to make known that He's the one and true God alone. Verse 5, that all the nations praise Thee, O God. Here's a Jewish poet inspired by God praying that His God will be known among all the peoples. There is one true God, not many, and we ought to strive to make Him known. Second answer, he wants to be known as a God of justice. Verse 4, let the nations be glad and sing for joy.
for thou dost judge the peoples with equity. He wants us to go with the message, God is just, God is righteous, God is equitable. Nobody will be called to account except for what they ought to have done. And the Bible says everybody everywhere among all the peoples of the earth have all the revelation they need to be held accountable to God and they all, according to Romans 1.18, suppress the truth and therefore they're lost. We must go and tell them God is just and God is the only God. Third thing we must tell them is that God is sovereign in power and guides the nations. Look at verse 4 again. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for thou dost judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations on the earth. Our God is a sovereign God. There are many nations that talk about sovereign states. God laughs. God laughs. He raises up kings. He puts down kings. The heart of the king is like a river in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. Proverbs 21.1 He will decide who gets elected in America in the next four weeks. And he will decide who reigns and rules over China and over Afghanistan and over Indonesia and over Ethiopia and Somalia and over Australia and over Bangkok and the Thailand. He will decide who reigns. And we go with a message of a sovereign God. And I'll tell you, with the Muslims left to be one, we better take a sovereign God and not a namby-pamby American God. Because they've got one. And if we don't come with a greater God than the Muslim God, which we do have because of the mingling of sovereignty and mercy, then we don't have anything to say to Muslim peoples. And the fourth thing that we have to say that God wants to be known as in this psalm is found in verse 1. He is gracious. May God be gracious to us and bless us. And make his face to shine upon us that thy way may be known upon the earth and thy salvation among the nations. Gracious to us alone? No. That salvation and grace might be known to the nations. Don't harbor the grace of God. It will rot in your bones. Rather, let your lives become channels of salvation like this verse says grace to us and let's end this message by taking a big bow and drawing it over from psalm 67 to the cross where that grace in the old testament was bought god knew jesus was coming and when he was gracious to the nations then as he's gracious to the nations now he knew who paid the price jesus paid the price and so i leave you with this great Christ-centered, triumphant word from Revelation 15, no, Revelation 5, 9. This has become for me even more important than Matthew 28, 19, and 20 in my missionary understanding. It's the song, Thou, O Christ, art worthy to open the seals. Now that means open the seals of history close the book and, and, and run the rest of history till it's all done. Thou art worthy to open the seals. For thou wast slain and by thy blood didst ransom men for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation and hast made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. So God means to be known and praised and enjoyed
and feared because He's a gracious God and a just God and the only God and a sovereign God. And I welcome you into the great enterprise of pursuing this. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray now as we move towards workshops and as we move towards reflection and retreat and prayer and meditation and opening our lives to what you're doing in us, that you would work and call. And I ask this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.